What's popping, y'all? My name is Phyllis McKenzie, and welcome to Caroline Podcast. If you love the expression of creativity in visual, performing, literary, and culinary arts, then this is the podcast for you. So subscribe and follow our social media pages through the link in the description and be part of the family. Now, let's dive in into today's episode. So welcome or welcome back to a brand new episode here at Care Life Podcast. This is week two in 2021. And this week we will be diving into performing arts. And our guest today, ladies and gentlemen, he is an actor. He's been on several films like them on Fox, Unbreakable, Kimmy Schmidt on Netflix, Drunk History on Comedy Central. And he is a stand-up comedian. And also he is the podcast producer and host of Weird AF. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Chris Jones, a.k.a. Jonesy. Thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, this is no problem. Uh, I'm so glad to be speaking to you. We were having a little nice banter before you hit record, and Mm -hmm. uh, I can tell this is going to be a a great episode because, uh, well, we're already getting along so well. I I, I mean, I was just expressing how pleased I am to be living in a time where I could be speaking to somebody who's in Nairobi, like from my little apartment in Los Angeles. This is amazing. <laughs> and then you were telling me how grateful you were to be speaking to somebody on a show that you're now a big fan of, which is Unbreakable yeah. Kimmy Schmidt. And uh, you were mentioning how uh, you only wanted to watch my episode and then you ended up binge watching the entire thing, Phyllis. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, I've taken up I've taken up many, many hours of your life now. I hope you'll forgive me. And uh, <laughs> Like I said, it was a pleasure watching it, and I'll probably dive into Gotham because I haven't watched it yet. Um, I used to be a big Batman fan when I was younger, but once I grew up, I realized that he was just a weird superhero, and <laughs> I yeah. loved Superman all the way. Yeah, I used to love Batman a lot. Yeah, well, if you enjoy Batman, then you'll love then You should like Gotham. Uh, it's... Uh... I, I don't know. I, I don't really follow the comic book uh, Batman, but apparently they, it keeps to the story of uh, Batman before he became Batman, according to the comic books. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's what. So if you if you enjoy uh, anything about Batman, then you you might enjoy Gotham. Um, did you enjoy the movie The Joker? That was really something. Oh, I thought. Yes. Yeah, that oh, was yes. really I, I really like that so a lot. Much. Yeah, I liked it because it was so dark and weird. I just like mm-hmm. weird things, you know. That's why I yeah, started yeah. my podcast, Weird AF News. I just like weird stuff, and that that movie was just really weird. I just I loved it so much. <laughs> I actually loved it because as a kid, they never portrayed um, Joker as that weird because he was only portrayed as this villain in Batman series a, a while back in the 90s and early 2000s. But I think they embraced the weirdness of Joker and it made him a better character, actually. Yeah, yeah. And uh, was the movie uh, popular over there uh, in your country? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. People are popular. obsessed. Yeah, we, uh, here in America, too, everybody was really obsessed with that movie. Everybody went out to see it, um, for sure. Um, that, I think mm-hmm. that was actually the last movie I saw in the theater. Uh, but, oh, man, I just, I just love that. That was great. Okay, so how about you tell us a little about yourself way before comedy? Where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Los Angeles or, or did you move there because of your career? Uh, I'm an East I'm an East Coaster. I grew up in 
uh, Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, I've mm-hmm. also lived uh, for 10 years in New York City, where I sort of learned how to become a comedian and an actor. And then uh, five years ago, made the move to Los Angeles uh, for, uh, for my career, but also for a change. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, really, uh, I had visited L.A. many times. I really enjoyed the weather. And I was getting tired of living in the cold winters of uh, the Northeast. And this was, this was great for me. Uh, I think when you get to a certain age where you start to value comfort. And so, yeah, I thought it'd be nice <laughs> out here. I can be in the sunshine, but still do what I do. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, that's what I came out here for. And I like all three of those cities. I can't recommend them enough. Um, especially uh, Boston is, is nice. A lot of people don't think to visit Boston when they come to the United States. They want to go to New York or L.A. Mm-hmm. or Chicago. But I can't say enough about Boston, Massachusetts. It's a lovely, lovely place. That's great. And how did you get into stand-up comedy? What was the journey like? I had a roommate in college who was doing it. And mm-hmm. I went to watch him at an open mic. And it was... I don't know. I, I really wasn't blown away by it. It just seemed kind of simple. And I thought, mm-hmm. you know, if, if these guys could do it, I, I could do it. Uh, th- granted, I was watching new be- new people do it at an open mic, so they weren't very good. But I thought, I mean, I could at least be this bad. So, like, wh- mm-hmm. what's what do I have to lose? And I had helped my roommate come up with some of his jokes as well at home. He was kind of picking my brain. So I sort of got the gist of how to put together a joke, kind of, kind of. Mm-hmm. And then... I, and then when I went to watch him do it, I could see how, you know, how the joke unfolded and whether it worked or not. And then we would go back home and I would help him rewrite it. And I thought, why not just do try this myself? You know, it seems like fun. And then, you know, 15 years later, still doing it. And I, I think my roommate stopped doing it a long, long time ago. He might have tried it for maybe two years and then quit. And I just kept going. <laughs> I, I really, I really found my identity with it. And I found it to be an art that I'm I'm crazy about. Previously, I had played some. I played music a bit, uh, so I, I was I was in front of crowds before live doing live music, singing. As a matter of fact, so I knew I already kind of was comfortable in front of people with a microphone doing that mm-hmm. that art, that performing art. But this comedy one was quite challenging, much more exciting than the band, uh, scarier too. You know, it's just you're all alone up there, and I like that mm-hmm. thrill. And I thought to myself, I I, I think I could. I think I can figure this out, and uh, and eventually I, I kind of figured it out. But I still I still learn. I still have a a ways to go. I, I think I'm I'm still learning the craft. I always learn something new. I'm always growing with my with my art. You know, growing up, I've always dreamt of being in Broadway. That was one of my biggest dreams way before I discovered journalism, and. How does one really get into acting? Because you have appeared in so many films and there are big films in big industries. So how did you really walk into acting itself? Well, when you do, I kind of came in through the back door doing comedy, stand-up comedy. Uh, mm-hmm. I never I never really intended to be an actor. I just liked doing stand-up comedy. Um, and then when I was in New York, you know, somebody saw me on stage who was a casting director uh, and said, hey, I, you know, you're very funny and mm-hmm. I like your en- I like your energy. I like your look. Uh, have you ever thought about auditioning for TV shows as a host or something? And I, I, I said, no, no, I really never considered that. But 
So I started auditioning through this woman for Nickelodeon shows, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, this woman really believed in my talent. And so with her help, I, I got an agent and then the agent had other auditions for me. They weren't just to be a host, they were to be in commercials or to be in a film or to be on a TV show or do voiceovers. Mm -hmm. And so I started going on these auditions and I, I struggled at these auditions. I didn't really know what I was doing because I was thrown into it without any training. So then I decided to take some classes to get better for these auditions. And then I started taking serious acting classes after that because I discovered even after I got a job, I wasn't mm -hmm. so great uh, at acting. I still needed to work at this. So uh, I started kind of backwards where I, I got shoved into auditions, didn't know what I was doing. So then mm -hmm. took courses and classes and and figured it out uh, and then took it seriously uh, because in the beginning I didn't take it so seriously. I just would show up at an audition unprepared oftentimes uh, and just would try to make it on just my, my personality alone. Uh, and then I went and got the training and New York was a great place to get that training. A lot of actors, they do it the other way around. They go to college for theater or something or they go to, they go to the acting classes and then they go, how do I... Now I need an agent because I'm ready. And then they struggle to find an agent. I, I had the opposite experience, which I don't think is very common at all, at all. Uh, but I think the, the thing that you can definitely take away from it is that uh, you, you should take some courses or some classes in acting and you should get some training. These are, this is a technique after, at the end of the day, even auditioning itself is its own technique. Uh, mm -hmm. And you can master auditioning and really not even be a great actor. So you gotta learn to take audition technique classes, courses, and also acting as well in addition to it because once you get the job, you gotta know mm -hmm. what you're doing on the stage, you gotta know what you're doing in front of the camera, you gotta know what you're doing on the voiceover microphone, all of these things. So, uh, and if you're lucky enough to be in a major city, you can get these, you can get these skills, you can take classes mm -hmm. that will provide this for you. And being in New York, I took full advantage of that and took classes for years and years. And so that's how I got into it. Wow, that's amazing. It's something that I've never heard before because personally, for somebody who has tried to get into acting, it's really hard. And for some people, you find that the hardest part, like you mentioned, it's finding an agent because where do you even find them from? You don't know if you Google them. You'll do, you don't know if you'll ask somebody to refer you to them. So I get your experience. And though it's easy, I'm pretty sure it was hard in the long run. You went through a lot of auditions. And were there some that you really wanted to hook this audition and get the part, but you didn't? Oh, yes, of course. There was, it was many of those. Uh, they were mostly hosting auditions. I was really, I really, I really have a gift on the microphone, and I can improv, and, and I can do a back and forth with somebody. And mm -hmm. I, I really wanted to get a job as a host on one of these shows. I can, each, I can also memorize script and, and, and repeat it. I can read off a teleprompter very easily. I can, I can work with an ear prompter. I have all the skills to be a great host. But I just never, I never got one of those jobs, and consequently, I never really, I never really got a big hosting job in my career. I, I always thought that I would. I thought that's where I would end up, and it just never happened for me. Although I did audition quite a bit, and I, I nearly got several jobs. It was, it was a few cases where it was just down to me and one other guy, and they went with the other guy in each in each case. 
I was really disappointed with that because I thought I'd be a great host and um, it never it never worked out. But yeah, those auditions I really wanted to nail. But I, you know, you get what you need, not what you want in life, it seems. Um, and so I've done some cool, some other things that weren't that, but they're, you know, equally cool, maybe even cooler, uh, mm -hmm. you know, one would say. Yeah. I mean, you always get, you always get denied in, in, in my industry. You have to sort of, you have to have a tough skin for that because you're going to be told no a lot. They say the average actor books one in 30 auditions. And so if that's the average one in 30, you know, that means a lot of people are booking one in 50, one in 40, one in 60. And, you know, it, how do you keep going if you're booking one in 50 auditions? How do you, how do you keep going? How do you persevere? It's, mm -hmm. uh, it takes a, it takes a mental strength, uh, and, and fortitude to do this. Uh, and, and you got to let things roll off your back, as they say, like a, like water off a duck's back, right? That's a saying I've heard before. I think old people say that. Anyways, mm -hmm. it, you got to let it roll off your back like that. You got to be able to bounce back and forget it immediately and go on to the next one. That is hard. That is hard, especially mm -hmm. if you really enjoyed the material and you really wanted the job. You know, sometimes I have to study days and days on, a, on an audition, on just one audition, and there may be a lot of material, and I got to really practice a lot, and I'm spending days doing it, always going back to it, getting my roommate to rehearse with me again and again and again and again, and then to not even get a call back afterward can be, you know, that can really get you down. You have to forget it and move on. How do you forget it, though, after you've been studying it every day um, for several days? Like it's easier said than done, right? It's easier said than mm -hmm. done, just, but you have to drop it and you have to just let it fall by in the rear view mirror. Don't even look at it and just go on to the next one. And I don't know if a lot of people are built for that a way of just forgetting like a goldfish, you know, just like let it go. And you also have to be able to take letdowns. I think stand-up comedy prepared me for, for this as well, uh, just because there's been so many instances not in just my stand-up comedy career, but in in the career of every stand-up comedian, where you are just every night you're experiencing some sort of failure uh, in front mm -hmm. of people. Where uh, and I'm referring to when you're trying out jokes or even jokes that you've done before that seem to work. Sometimes they don't work for many mm -hmm. many reasons. It could be for many different reasons, and so you have to be able to move on, go to the next thing in front of people and you have to not only go on to the next joke, you have to go mm -hmm. on to the next joke confidently. You don't even have to, you have to look like you're still comfortable, you are in charge, you know what you're doing, and that mm -hmm. what, what just happened didn't even bother you. You have to go on. And sometimes it doesn't bother you, so it's natural. Sometimes it does bother you, but you have to, you have to not show that it bothered you, which requires some acting. And so stand-up comedy is a great way to prepare yourself for letdown, a letdown in front of strangers, you know, mm -hmm. just like an audition can be very humiliating in front of strangers as well. So the stand-up comedy really helped me when it comes to auditioning and acting, um, just mm -hmm. being able to take a take no for an answer, take a letdown and bounce back. Yeah, super, supremely helpful. Speaking of strangers, how do people react when you tell them what your job is? Like, hey, I'm Chris Jones, I live in LA, I'm a comedian, a podcast host, and also an actor. How do they process this? Because to some people, when you tell them exactly what I've just said, they'll think that you are an, an actual joke, that A, either you're not a, a good comedian, B, 
you're just doing podcasting because you don't have an actual job or C, you're not a real actor. <laughs> yeah. So well, how do people I'm, react to you? Well, you know, they can always Google Jonesy, which is what I go by, J-O-N-E-S-Y. You can always Google me. Um, I have an IMDB page that shows people what I've done. And and of certainly the people, I work a regular job now, and certainly the people that I work with have, have looked me up. And then, you know, have said, oh, my goodness, I didn't know we were working with a celebrity, which is, you know, and I say, and I say, no, not a celebrity. I've done a few things. Okay. But I have a lot of work online. That's um, that people can see, which is nice. I'm sure people do find it to be to be, you know, out of the ordinary, depending on where you live. Um, Now, being in Los Angeles, it's quite common to meet people who are in this industry everywhere. You know, it's just it happens to be the thing. So you go out in L.A., you know, you meet several people. Half of them will be working in the industry for sure on some level. So they'll either be, you know, I'm an art director or I'm a producer, I'm an actor. It's very common. But I guess when people from other parts of the world uh, meet me, they might think that that's pretty out of the ordinary. Um, To me, it seems normal. Uh, I just I couldn't be doing anything else, I don't think. Um, But I can see where people are coming from. It does seem it does seem strange. Currently, you know, I am working a regular job to, to deal with the pandemic. And so I'm around, I'm around kind of just, you know, what I would consider regular people. Most of them aren't artists. And uh, yeah, at the end of the day, after they find out what you do, they just, they kind of just judge you for who you are eventually, if you spend enough time with them and, you know, are you a good person or not? And uh, after the allure goes away, they, you know, at the end of the day, it's just a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing special, really. Um I mean, we're all just, we all have a skeleton. We're all, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, we're all people. We're all people. I, you know, I don't really buy into that whole putting people on pedestals. I mean, people are people. Um, I don't, um, not to say if I ran into Bill Murray, I wouldn't be, um, you know, over the moon. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But people are people. Everybody poops. And uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's the way I look at it. Uh, I think that's a good way to look at it, not to be overwhelmed and, with that kind of thing it's like who are you a good person that's what's more important i try to be a good person you know are you a good person phyllis i can tell you're a good person i can just tell by our interaction that you're you're an amazing individual um you seem very nice and i think that's what's really important um, not what people do but who who a person is is, is, is it's much more important in my opinion mm-hmm. i don't know if you know this comic his name is gabriel iglesias fluffy Oh, Fluffy is very popular, yes. Yeah, he's one of my favorite comics. And I don't know why, but ever since a couple of years ago in 2016, I got to watch his one-hour comedy special where he just stood there for one hour and did stand-up comedy straight up from his head, no practice, nothing. I just fell in love with his content. So who really makes you laugh? Other comics, maybe close friends or family? Oh, geez, who's my favorite comic? Uh, I really like Bill Burr very much. Uh, he's a he's another guy from Boston, same as me. Yeah, I really enjoy his his comedy, and uh, it's it's what I know. I'm, I'm I'm I come from the same place that he comes from, so I really relate to his comedy quite a bit. I also enjoy Dave Chappelle very much. Mm-hmm. Lately, I've really enjoyed him because he's saying things that are that no one dares to say uh, on stage. Uh, I think it's very bold of him and brave, and it's and it's he's setting a great example on what. Uh, just kind of reminding us what stand-up comedy 
should be. He's very important for the culture, I think, and for the art of stand-up comedy. I also mm-hmm. still enjoy, I also, I've always enjoyed Louis C.K., who's um, mm-hmm. somebody who's been, it hasn't been okay to show public approval for him because of some of the things he's done in his personal life. But as an artist and a comedian, I've always thought he was uh, one of the best out there. And that he was taking, he takes a lot of risks. He's uh, mm-hmm. very original and and I, I really like him, and I've I've drawn some I've drawn a lot of inspiration from watching his specials, which which used to be on Netflix, all of them. I don't know if they are anymore. I, I think they've been taken down, which I think is mm-hmm. unfortunate, because as works of art, I think they're very good. And what are some of the memorable moments you've had in your career so far? Well, geez, uh, well, the most memorable to me would be the times that I've interacted with some great actors and producers. I got to work with Tina Fey, who was uh, just really amazing. She she was basically in charge of um, the, the production of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. She was the executive producer. She also ran the set as well and directed. And, uh, mm-hmm. When I was there, she was the, she was it. She did it all. And to watch somebody uh, have control of a set like that, that was really cool. And and to also be so nice as well. She was very patient with everybody and pleasant. Mm-hmm. You could tell everybody enjoyed working with her, and, and I, I did as well. She was very complimentary to me and my performance and made it a point to come up to me individually to, to thank me for doing the job, which I, mm-hmm. I was very touched by. And then... She enjoyed my performance so much that she had the writers write some new scenes for me. To, so she asked if I would be free to come in in a couple of days and do some more, and I did that. Um, mm-hmm. So she even she gave me more work. And then a few weeks later, I I had to go back to the to that television show and record some voiceovers for them in a sound booth. What what's called ADR, additional mm-hmm. dialogue recording. And uh, I thought it would just be me and a sound guy, but. Yeah, she was there, and it was me and her alone in a sound booth. And so I got to spend another hour or so with her alone, uh, working with her, and she was amazing. So just to be alone with Tina Fey for a few hours, to, not alone. Well, I was alone with her for maybe one hour, and then and then to hang, you know be with her on set for another thing. Just that, that was tremendous. I'll never forget that. I'll always be grateful for those moments. And, and she really taught me that you can be that successful, but also be really down to earth still. And don't let it go to your head. She did not let it go to her head. She was a very humble individual. She was really conscientious, and very respectful, and, and, mm-hmm. and was very grateful and said so. And it wasn't bullshit. It was, it, it was just really genuine. And it reminded me that you can have all of that and still be a good person. And so since then, I, I am not, I'm unforgiving to actors and celebrities when they treat people like crap. I'm completely unforgiving. You, I hear stories all the time of people in the industry that treat treat everyone underneath them as though they're nothing. Uh, you know, they, it's very they're very dehumanizing to them. There's no need. There's never a need to be that way. No matter how much success you have, no matter how much you're overworked or tired. I mean, Tina Fey. No one works harder than her in the business, and yet she's mm-hmm. still that way. You can be that way. You just have to. You have to want to be that way, and you have to take the time to be considerate like that. And she did that, and uh, and, and I, I'll never forget that. I learned a big lesson that day. Man, I get to say that I worked with Tina Fey. You know, <laughs> whatever, whatever happens from here on out, you know, I may I may go maybe maybe the TV and film industry goes away forever. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I can always I can always say that I worked with with Tina Fey one-on-one, man, and that was just amazing. I'll never forget that. 
And for any performer or public speaker, it's always, always that one moment when a person just stands up or does something funny or maybe something aggressive. So for you personally, how do you deal with hecklers? I don't like to attack them. I try to just deflect and keep keep the show going. I don't want any bad energy with the show. And if you engage with a heckler, it can it can turn quickly into something that that's a bad energy. And I, I don't I don't like that. I want to keep it flowing. I don't want to interrupt what I'm doing. My jokes are not short. They're very long. And so mm -hmm. an inter and I don't like an interruption. I want to be able to keep my flow going because my jokes, they, they build momentum and I don't want that to be interrupted. So if there is a heckle or someone does say something, I will most of the time ignore it and just keep going on with the joke. The next level would be if I have to address it, I'll just do it in a friendly way uh, and I'll hope that the, the person stops. And then if the person doesn't stop, I'll have to be a little bit firmer. And I'll, but I'll make a joke about it, but it, I'll have to get firm. And then if the person doesn't stop, then I'll have to really get mean and, and, and have them, you know, and maybe even have them removed, which I don't like to do. Again, because it'll throw a, it throws a bad energy onto, the, onto my set. I don't want that. And also because of the reason I mentioned up top is that I just, I have an agenda up there. My agenda is I want, I want to work through my material. I want to do the jokes. That's what I'm, that's what I like to do. That's what I got into this game in the first place is to say what's on my mind and get a reaction. And that's what I like about it. What I don't like about it is to address some, some idiot that's just saying whatever the hell they want to and they're drunk. That's not what I'm in this for. And so mm -hmm. If I can avoid that interaction altogether, I'll, I'll do that. It just really, I don't want to be taken off my game. And I don't want the crowd to be distracted. My jokes mm -hmm. are like, they're kind of like, they're long and it, they it's kind of a bit of a story sometimes and it requires attention. And if you're mm -hmm. disrupting the attention that I'm trying to build, you know, that's just, I don't, I don't like that at all. It doesn't help the show at all. These people oftentimes think they're adding to the show, which is just a delusion. Mm -hmm. But I mean, this is, you know, people who can understand people, you know, people storm the Capitol building and they think they're a patriot. You know, this is what we're dealing with. And people are just messed up and it's a shame. Some of them go to comedy shows and, mm -hmm. and you have to, and you have to, when you deal with the public, this is what you get. And so sometimes I have to deal with it. It's unfortunate. Um, but I try to just deflect it and not address it if I can. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned that your acts are long. And how do you really come up with this storyline, this comic act for that one special person out there? Well, I don't come up with an act for any special person out there, except for I would say myself. Um, mm -hmm. I, I talk about what I find fascinating or mm -hmm. funny, usually both fascinating and funny. I do it for, I, I initially do it for me. It's usually like a, uh, a point of view, an opinion I might have, a grievance. Mm -hmm. Many times it's a grievance that I have. And then I, I think to myself, well, if I have this grievance, I'm sure other people have thought about this and maybe they can relate. So I might, you know, talk about that and, and then see the response that I get. You know, mm -hmm. we like to say in the business, the comedian writes, the audience edits. So if I have an opinion on something and that I think might, is, is funny, and fascinating. Mm -hmm. I'll talk about it, and and then I'll see where it. I'll see where it goes. I'll see the response I get as a new joke, 
And then if it seems to be, if I think I have something there, then I'll, I'll work on it. And I'll, I like to attack a subject from all angles is what I like mm -hmm. to do. I just don't like to write a short joke like, bah, and this is it. You know, my jokes are four or five minutes long at least. So mm -hmm. I'd like to talk about a thing. I like to keep talking about it until I've kind of hammered it from all angles. That's what I like. That's what I like to do. Uh, but most of my ideas are something, something going on that's, that I find annoying and I'll talk about it. And that's mm -hmm. what I like to do. Very, very similar to like Bill Burr and Louis C.K. and Tom Segura. These guys are, you know, many times jokes are grievances. You know, it's a grievance. Somebody has a grievance. Um, and I would say my material is the same way. Mm -hmm. and, where, and where do I, so where do I get that? Well, it's just living my day-to-day -day life. Something will happen to me eventually. And I'll, I'll be, it'll, it'll aggravate me. And if it keeps happening and I keep getting aggravated, I'm, I want to talk about it. I may tell I may just bring it up to some, a friend or something at first and then kind of complain about it. And then, you know, it'll go from there. I might, then I might record myself complaining about it and then listen to it again and see if is this a joke? Is that, I think this might be something. And then I'll just try it on stage. I'll complain about it and I'll try to make it funny. And then I'll see if the audience agrees. Um, if something's bothering me, chances are it's bothering somebody else. You know, if you know if if using Yahoo as an email platform is bothering me, then I'm sure it's bothering other people. You know, so then I find that if I start making fun of Yahoo, that other people agree. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, you're right. Terrible spam filters, among mm -hmm. other things. Yeah, this is how jokes work for me. And I'm sure that you've experienced crowds with different senses of humor. So has your act ever died on stage oh yeah yeah sure absolutely <laughs> i mean it's that's gonna happen to any comedian uh, mm -hmm. especially if you're if you're new uh you you have to and that's why when i mentioned earlier that it helped me with my acting you know because i've mm -hmm. died on stage so many times that it, it it helps you because as an actor you might forget your lines or something and you might stumble on your words or stutter and uh that's kind of the same feeling, uh, especially if it's in theater and you're on stage, then it's very much the same feeling. You know, you have to learn how to bounce back from that. And so uh, I've died many times on stage and you, you eventually learn how to get through that. And mm -hmm. it still happens to me, of course, of course. I mean, especially if you do different crowds, different countries, cities, mm -hmm. you move around, you know, not everybody thinks the same, you know. 70 million people voted for Donald Trump. <laughs> That's, that should tell you something. That should tell you that a lot of people don't think the same way that I do. And so, and that's just my country. Now, now you know, I've done shows in Singapore, Japan, Malaysia, Taiwan, Canada. Um, so, I mean, I've gone around. I've had to make an adjustment each place I go to because different cultures, you know, you're dealing with a different dictionary, you're dealing with different references, different points of view. For instance, I do a jury duty joke. I can only do that jury duty joke in the United States, I learned. You know, I can't go to joke in Taiwan. You know, they don't know what I'm talking about. So maybe I could do it in Canada. I don't know. Do they have the same system that we have here? A jury? I, I don't even know. It might just be an American phenomenon. So like that joke has to be tossed, really. I mean, how can I do that? I mean, I can sort of try to do it and give, tell people what it is, but it's not going to have the same impact. You, you'll, you learn as you go around, you know, how to figure your way through these situations. And hopefully 
if you do it long enough, you just have so many jokes that you can just mm -hmm. try. You, can, you have enough material where you can just try a different one and just hope that that works. And if that doesn't, we try a different one. Um, when you're a new comic and all you have is 10 minutes worth of material, that's obviously not a choice. You have to do your jokes and that's all you got. Yeah, if you've been doing it long enough, over 10 years or so, you, you build up enough jokes in your in your catalog, I guess, to hopefully get you through most situations. Maybe not an hour long show, mm -hmm. but certainly 20 minutes, 25 minutes, even a half an hour, I can fake my way through if it's not going well. And even even talk to the crowd a little bit if I have to for a few minutes to help slow everything down and make my way through it. I mean, you figure your way through it is what you end up doing. And I still, you know, doing it for over 14 years, 15 years, I still, I, I still run into crowds that I, I don't know what I'm, what I'm dealing with. And I have to figure it out as I go. Uh, that's sort of part of the game. And uh, something that comics, if you're a good comic, you'll figure it out. And you'll figure it out by going on the road. And you'll figure it out that way. And if you can make all the more various kinds of people that you can make laugh, I think, the, the more skilled you are at the end of the day because uh, that's not easy I've, I've tried and it's it's not it's not easy to to make all kinds of people laugh it's just not i mean think about other arts like my mother doesn't like heavy metal music hard mm -hmm. rock stuff you know and she just she isn't you can't win her over with that stuff you just can't and and mm -hmm. stand-up comedy is you know is kind of like that there's different flavors you know some comics are dirty like my you know so mm -hmm. A heavy metal band, a lot of times, won't just go into like an like a an old person's home and try to do their thing. Like that's not going to happen. But I've gone into an old person's home with my comedy and tried to make it work. I've done shows at cancer wards, tried to make it work. I've done shows for blind people, a whole room of blind people. I've done shows for prisoners. I've done shows for people in drug rehabs. I've done all black shows, Latino shows, all, an entire Asian crowd. Uh, I've done shows for many different kinds of people and tried to make it work. Um, and uh, that's just really, uh, it's challenging, but it makes you a better, a better performer. And, and if you can have some success with all kinds of different crowds, you know, you're just a, that's just a testament to your artistry. And and I, I'm very proud of being able to do that. And I don't always crush, you know, they have, we have a phrase in comedy, crush. I don't, you know, when I was in Singapore for a month doing shows, it took me, it took me a while to figure it out, a few weeks to get it going, you know. I wasn't crushing right away, but eventually I learned ah, I could really do well if, if I just figured out what to do, the kind of jokes that they would like. And I even wrote new material for them as well and figured it out. But if you should be able to, with some time, work it out to where it, you're at least good in front of every crowd. Um, and I think I, I think I'm there. I think I'm at least good in front of most crowds. Good enough. Yeah, I'm, I'm proud of that. And I would like to get back to doing it sometime. It would be pretty cool. What uh, or what is one of your favorite jokes? Like you've heard it somewhere or maybe it's your own favorite joke? Oh, one of my favorite jokes. Uh, mm. Let's see here. That's a very good question. I really wasn't worried. I really wasn't ready for that. I got so many jokes in my head. It's hard to pick one. 
Well, let me just tell you a joke that I would look that I'd watch today because I can't remember any others really right now. Um, mm-hmm. uh, this a comedian named Al Madrigal. He's got a he's got a video on YouTube called "The Day Laborer," mm-hmm. and it's a joke. It's a joke about how when he was working on his house, he went to go get a day laborer at Home Depot. It's a very American specific joke. So if your listeners don't don't know what, <laughs> it's very common for if you can't afford a professional carpenter or plumber it's very mm-hmm. common to just go to home depot and in the parking lot there'll be uh what i can only describe as undocumented workers <laughs> that want to work mm-hmm. they're often at least in my neighborhood they're me- usually mexicans mexican men that speak very little english but they know how to do the plumbing and they know how to do the carpentry and everybody knows that if you go to home depot you can pick up one of these guys and for 50 bucks they'll work for a couple hours and fix whatever the hell you need. They may, maybe you need to put a, just something simple like a shelf. Like they can do whatever. Some people they want to go to Home Depot and do things themselves. And so they but they don't know how. So, you know, it's free pretty it's pretty common for someone to just go pick up one of these day laborers at Home Depot for very cheap. And he does a joke about that uh, that and he makes it so funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just a wonderful wonderful bit um, at one point he's He's having to choose a day laborer from a lineup of Mexican men, and he and he he compares it to like the 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 TV show The Bachelor, where you have to pick up you have to pick your date, and he he compares it to that, and it's just a very brilliant joke, and uh, it's available on YouTube to watch it, and I've watched it many many times. In fact, I watched it today with a friend of mine as well. We were talking about it, and I lo- I really lo- enjoy that joke. No, I've never met Al, and I, but I hope he appreciates me <laughs> uh, giving him some free promo on your on KR Live. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Actually, one of my favorite jokes I heard it when I was a little kid. Um, my stage play directors used to tell me this so that I could calm down my nerves, and he used to ask me, "Phyllis, did you hear about the actor who fell through the floorboards?" And guess what the answer is? What is that? He was going through a stage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. Very funny. Very good. Very good. <laughs> and I used to laugh because at first I actually never got it because telling a six-year-old that joke won't understand. And then yeah. once I grew up at around 12, that's when I realized what puns were. And it it became funny to me like five years on. Later, that's when I'm catching up on the joke. Yeah, yeah. And I love it so much because once you hear that and then you're on stage and you need to calm down your nerves, I just remember I'm standing on floorboards <laughs> and I'd be the actor who falls through the floorboards. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> well, I'm glad you shared that, Phyllis. That's really nice. And has anything embarrassing ever happened to you on stage? Well, bombing on stage, yeah. And that happens to all comedians, and it's it can be quite embarrassing, um, especially when it goes really bad and you don't recover. Yeah, it can be very humiliating and very embarrassing, and it it still happens to me. I still I still go through it because when you try out a new joke, which you have to if you want to, mm-hmm. when you write, you know, you never know how it's going to go. You think that you have a joke on your hands, but you never know until you try it. The audience tells you. Yes, it's funny. No, it's funny. The the feedback is right there. So, you know, it's not always the case where a new joke is going to work the first time. In fact, most of the time, it, there's something wrong with it. The ending isn't right. 
the, you, you die somewhere in the middle, you have to abandon it. So as long as you're going to keep trying new jokes as a comedian, and it's part of your job to, to grow, to write material and try it out, see if it works, then go back to the drawing board, maybe rewrite it. Maybe if it's really bad and nothing's working about it, you have to drop, drop the whole thing and never, never try it again. So the ongoing experience of jokes not working on stage is part of the, it's part of the life of a comedian. I'd imagine even extremely successful comedians like Chappelle and Seinfeld, they, they try something and it doesn't work still. And that for that one moment, you know, of silence, mm -hmm. that is that is their definition of bombing. That's their humiliation for that moment. To them, it's probably not so humiliating because they drive away in a Lamborghini, but every comic still goes through it on some level. You will fail up there and you must fail to, to, to grow and to develop new material. So yeah, I, I still go through it. I, I will always go through it. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, you know, the, the longer you do it, the more comfortable you get it with bombing and with having those little small failures on stage and bouncing back from it. And in this lifetime, or maybe in a different earth where you weren't a comedian, you were not an actor, you didn't host a podcast, what job would you do? I always wanted to be a baseball player. I really love baseball, playing it anyways. Mm -hmm. I was quite good at it for a while. And I, I had dreams of being a professional baseball player as a child. Uh, turns out they were extremely unreasonable dreams, but they were dreams nonetheless. They were mine. <laughs> no one could take them away. Uh, yeah, I thought I would be a ball player. I would love to be a ball player, a professional ball player. That'd be a dream. If I could give everything up to be a professional baseball player, I think I would have done that. Despite having, you know, comedy is so fun. Stand-up comedy is great. I love doing it. It's been a great ride. Uh, it's, it's very thrilling. But I would have loved to have been a baseball player and won a World Series. Uh, that would have been... That would have been a huge thrill. That would have been incredible. Yeah, and you seem to love comedy. So what's the best thing about your job? Well, I think it would be a cliche to say that, oh, making people laugh. Um, mm -hmm. But it is. I mean, it, it is. It's making people laugh. It's to see their face when light up and burst into a laugh. I mean, I just love that. I, it gets mm -hmm. me so excited, and I'm so pleased to, to do that. I do it. I still do it at my, at my day job now. I can't stop making people laugh. It seems to be an addiction for me. So... Mm -hmm. I even find myself doing it at the day job now. I'm just making the employees laugh as often as I can. I just feel an impulse to do that. I get so much joy out of it. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's not a very original response from a comedian, but yeah, that's that's it for me. It's, although maybe some comedians do it for the money. Maybe they think, oh yeah, I'm on my way to riches, but that's not that's not it for me at all. I don't really care about that part of it. I, I, I really enjoy making people laugh. Mm -hmm. I can't help myself but do it. Can't help it. It's like, and what about the worst thing about it? The worst thing about it? Jeez. Mm -hmm. uh, the worst thing about it is having to do everything yourself is a bit difficult and can be stressful, especially in the beginning because I have to do everything myself. It's, it's hard enough to come up with material, come up with ideas and, and jokes, what you think are jokes. And then get on stage and try to make them work. That is an extremely stressful thing to do and, and very scary. That's hard. Um, it's unfortunate that, that's, that your job doesn't end there as a comedian. It should, but it doesn't. There's so much other crap that you have to do. Um, mm -hmm. you, have to have, you have to have some sort of business sense. You have to book yourself. You have to get 
you have to go out every night and make connections. You have to socialize. You have to hang out at comedy clubs. Mm-hmm. You have to reach out to people, befriend other comedians, make friends with club owners, make friends with people who have power in your industry, mm-hmm. uh, play a political game sometimes. And all of those things I find very uninteresting and dull, and they feel like work to me, and I don't like doing them anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I wish I could just go out and do the art part, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you have to do these other things in order to get on stage. You have to do these other things in order to get on shows. You have to do these other things to be accepted in the community so that you can move up in the, with your art. And I, mm-hmm. I don't like that part, but nothing's easy in this life. you know. And if you really want to do something great, mm-hmm. you have to oftentimes do crappy things to get yourself there, things that you don't like. It is real work. Mm-hmm. I don't like the work part, but, you know, I... You know, I just want to do the fun part, right? Perform, write and perform, write and perform. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have to do these other things that are a bit, uh, can be annoying and they can be draining. And uh, as I get older, uh, I don't want to do them. So that's that's my position anyways. That's how I feel about it. And you mentioned that you have traveled in different countries, different cities, so that you can perform your stand-up comedy. So what's one or maybe two of your best audiences that you've had? Well, I'll tell you my favorite audience when I was traveling in Asia was uh, was in Taipei, Taiwan. They had they have a comedy club there. It's mm-hmm. called I think it's called the Two Three Club, and it, it it was an astounding experience. The crowd was the best of any crowd that I had encountered in Asia. Uh, you know, I'd only been to four countries, but I had done a lot of shows, and this was the best crowd hands down. I really. I really liked the crowd in Taipei. They're very liberal, open-minded people, very forward-thinking. They were very receptive to my brand of humor, which is a little can be a little edgy. And mm-hmm. they really were cool. They really went with it. They weren't offended at all. Uh, and I, I really loved that. I loved that because it, I was encountering certain places in Asia where they're just easily offended. And I, I, you know, that's to me that's anti-comedy. You know, if you're if you're offended, it's that's not what I'm. That's not my intention at all. If you're offended, it's just you're not getting it. You're not getting it. And I, I experienced some of that, but in Taiwan, it was the exact opposite. And I can't wait to go back. That that place I think about often, that mm-hmm. club, and I, I can't wait to go back and perform there. Maybe when COVID is over, I could do I could do that. That would be uh, that's on my wish list for sure. Mm-hmm. And I hope that you get back there and that you get to perform in many other cities. Possibly you can perform in ours. We are very big comedy lovers here. Oh, Phyllis, I love that. I have to take you up on that offer. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that would be tremendous. It would be. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> oh, man, just the idea of performing there just blows my mind. Like, why not? Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's the other great thing about comedy. It can bring you, stand-up comedy can bring you all around the world, you know, it can. Mm-hmm. I'm very lucky. And where do you see yourself 10 years from now? Either your podcast, your acting career, or maybe your comedy? Well, for sure I can see my podcast being a, a, a big success. It's already mm-hmm. starting to go that way. Um, I recently hit a million downloads, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm over 850 episodes of Weird AF News. Mm-hmm. I've been doing this five-day-a-week weird news show for almost, I don't know, about three and a half years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and it's growing all the time. My audience is getting bigger, and I can see in 10 years for sure Weird AF News will be a hit, uh, and I'll be making really good money at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that I can that I can say with assurance. The other things are a bit up in the air, unfortunately. I wish I could say with confidence that um, you know I'll have a TV career of some mm-hmm. sort 10 years from now. But it, you know, I think we have to see how these things play out um, with the pandemic and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I'll never stop doing stand-up comedy, though. That's for sure. Um, I'll always be doing that, and uh, if I even if the pandemic keeps going, I'll figure out a way to do it. I will, because I miss it so much. I really do. Uh, and, and I'll find a way to do it even during a pandemic if, if mm-hmm. I have to. Even if it means going to a place where people don't wear masks, I'll figure it out. Uh, you know, I'll figure it out because I love it and I really, really miss it. And I can't stand doing shows on, on Zoom or Skype. Mm-hmm. It's, not the, it's not the same experience for me. I really need the live crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need that energy. And so I'll, I'll make it happen some way, somehow. Uh, hopefully before the end of 2021, I'll be doing it on a regular basis again. I, I really hope so. Mm-hmm. Well, personally, I see myself 10 years from now being an amazing journalist after I graduate. And um, in terms of my podcast, I too want it to be a great hit 10 years from now because it started in March last year when we locked down for the pandemic. And right now, as I'm talking to you, it's at a thousand downloads and streams. So I'm hoping possibly 10 years from now, I'll be where you are at right now. And I'll touch a lot of lives through this. Maybe I'll make a change the same way I want to make a change on this planet through my podcast, through me being a journalist. That's what I see myself 10 years from now doing. And possibly getting my dream job on Broadway, hopefully. Oh, I hope that you do. If you go on Broadway, I promise you I'll come see you perform. Oh, I'd love that. And I'd actually <laughs> oh, yeah. love to see one of your shows. Oh, that would be that would be great. Do you ever come to the United States? No, um it got canceled. I was I was to go there because of Model United Nations. Then um the pandemic came. Yeah, yeah. Now it's all tuned back into online, so yeah. we'll see maybe when the pandemic ends, who knows? Oh yeah, you gotta come. You'll you'll love it here. Absolutely, you'll get over here. Don't come now. There's too much COVID here. So oh, just I, I wouldn't even dare. <laughs> don't even don't even do it. It would be a uh, very dangerous, very dangerous. But yeah, when this all blows over, yeah, you would love it here. And I think the I think America would would embrace you as well for sure, for sure. I would love to see you on Broadway someday. Thank you. And what advice would you give? any person out there or maybe somebody who has tried comedy before or acting and they still want to move forward with it? Well, I would say make sure you're doing it for the right reason. If you're getting into this game for money and fame, I I don't think that's the right reason. I think you should get into it because you enjoy it like anything. A podcast as well. You should get into it because you enjoy it. Because Mm -hmm. so many people, so many people want to do these things. Your competition is is really great and the numbers are stacked against you chances are you won't make it and you may spend 10 15 years trying and still not make it so you better enjoy it because otherwise you'll spend those 10 years doing something that you didn't enjoy and not making it and it's it's not for everybody don't fool yourself don't do it because you see you, you say to yourself oh i want to have i want to have the life of this 
you know, this celebrity. I want that lifestyle, so I'm going to do this. You know, do it because you enjoy the craft of it, the the doing of it. You enjoy being on the set. You enjoy being in front of the camera. You enjoy being on the microphone, being in front of people on the stage. Those are the reasons you should do it rather than those other things. Because mm-hmm. if you love it, only if you love it, that's really the only way to sustain yourself through the hard times. Because I'll guarantee you there'll be hard times. People love to say no to you in this business. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't also love what you're doing, now you're being told no at something you don't even really like. Mm-hmm. And so to me, you're living, that's a horrible existence. And it should, you shouldn't live that way. So make sure, make sure you like it. Make sure you get some joy out of doing it. That's, that's what I would say. That's the right reason to do it. I hope that's helpful. Yeah, that's helpful. And I'm pretty sure it's helpful for a lot of people out there who have been listening so far. And you've been an amazing guest, Jonesy. Oh, you really think so, Phyllis? Thank you. Yeah, you are. And thank you so much for being part of this episode. Oh, I had a great time. I'm I'm, I'm a little lower on energy than I usually am tonight. I hope I was engaging. I was trying my best here. You were. I, I really enjoyed you had a, you have great questions by the way I was very impressed with your your question you are a great journalist already Thank you so I think much. yeah I do a lot of these podcasts as I was telling you before we recorded I've probably been a guest on forty or so podcasts and mm-hmm. your you were very organized your questions were really really great it really stood out to me like you obviously know what you're doing uh, so I, I think this podcast is going to be a hit. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much and i hope so and to all those listening make sure to check out his website jonesy.com he's also on twitter and instagram at funny jones and please 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 check out his podcast weird af news is there anything you'd like to add chris oh uh i just spent a little bit of money on building a website for the podcast as well uh, i don't know if you've done that yet but eventually you're going to want to get a website for your podcast Mm-hmm. Weird, weirdafnews.com. And so that's also available. Um, I, I finally got one. After three years, it took me to get a, to get a website. <laughs> I, I finally did it. So, uh, yeah, I just want, I'm trying to be professional. So, yeah, uh, that's very new, too. The website just went up a couple of months ago. So, yeah, I'm very happy about that, too. So weirdafnews.com is another place you can go to find the podcast. And there's some other things there as, as well. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity you gave me tonight. Thank you so much, Phyllis. Thank you, and you're welcome. And remember to subscribe to both our podcasts, leave reviews for both of us. They are very helpful. And also follow our social media pages so that when I upload and when he uploads, you're aware of our content. But thank you so much, Chris, once again, for being part of Caroline Podcast. Thank you. It was a pleasure. All mine. And that will be it for this week. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you are notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcasting app, especially Apple Podcasts, and share it with all your friends. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, creativity is intelligence having fun. Until next time, hashtag PodRock.